Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. On last week's show with Larry Dossie, we talked about how one sign of this evolutionary rise in consciousness that we're experiencing is that it seems as if we're moving from the metaphorical to the real. We're realizing that many of the nice sounding phrases we've heard over the last several decades, such as we all are one or we are the world, are actually true. So today we're going to take another step along this path by exploring a modern-day mantra that has been popularized in all sorts of books called, We Create Our Own Reality. Now, we all have heard this saying that we create our own reality, and even though millions of books have been sold with that point in mind, I think that most people probably doubt that it's true. But the findings of quantum theory, the history of spirituality, and an increasing number of real-world experiences are leading many people to conclude that if consciousness creates reality, which a lot of people are coming to that conclusion, then we must necessarily make that reality. Now today's guest, Cynthia Sue Larson, has written a mind-opening book exploring the reality of what she calls reality shifts and how this dreamlike mentality is the key to a better life. Her book is entitled Reality Shifts When Consciousness Changes the Physical World. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. It's great having you. Oh, thanks, Philip. I'm glad to be here. Well, okay. I was looking forward to having this conversation because I think that you probably have gone to places a lot of writers haven't uh, with regard to the actual changes to physical reality that many of us experience but maybe put uh, aside or ignore but be but as we get into this we're gonna have to first define some terms and you use the term reality shifting in your book title and that's of course what your book is about let's talk about what is reality shifting what I mean when I say reality shifting or use the words like reality shift or reality shifts is uh, basically a collection of different types of experiences that fall under that general umbrella and those would include things that are appearing or disappearing or transforming or transporting or changes in the way that we experience time and when I say these are changes I mean the types of changes that could not easily be explained by other means so otherwise inexplicable appearances disappearances transformations and transportations well, and it's not just sort of ghosts or visions you're talking about or hallucinations. You're talking about real physical things shifting. And maybe it would help to give an example to the listener of, of what a reality shift is that you've experienced. Right. Well, one that was most memorable to me was when I was walking with friends down by the Berkeley Marina and this was a typical walk that we'd go on usually after brunch where we got a chance to stretch our legs and smell the fresh sea air by the San Francisco Bay and just talk about things and catch up. So we're walking along the usual walk that we always did. We'd meet every month or so. And on this particular occasion, I had just brought up the subject of reality shifts and was asking them if they'd ever noticed anything like that when all of a sudden... <laughs> And quite synchronistically, um, so I noticed a reality shift was underway. And when I say that, what I mean is suddenly I was looking at something, a very old, very large concrete sundial sculpture, which had a plaque and an inscription stating that it 
this statue had been there since the 1970s or something, and it was huge. There's no way that it could possibly have ever been there before because we used to walk right through that area. And so <laughs> I interrupted my story and said, well, look at this. Here's something right now that I don't remember seeing here before. And that was, it was really great. I like experiencing reality shifts with other observers, other people that you can um, share the experience. They hadn't seen it there before either. Actually, when I thought more, uh, more deeply on the matter, I remembered that sometimes I had seen that sundial sculpture there before. And this is very interesting. I, mean, I don't want to go too much into that right now, but the point is to see something that isn't there all the time, but then is, and something that might have been on the periphery of your awareness, not a central figure. So I'm not, I'm not a sundial collector. I don't take <laughs> photos of them all around the world. Right. It's not something that's captivating for me. So it's just something that happened to be there. Well, well how do you know? I mean, <laughs> I, I think a natural question would be, how do you know that you just didn't notice it last time? Or the because, because it completely obscured another sculpture behind it, um, which was an archer, kind of an Asian figure on a horse. Yeah, yeah. And so from this particular vantage point, you couldn't see the other sculpture, hmm. which is a sculpture we'd talked about before. So things like that can be giveaways. Um, the fact that my friends didn't remember it. Um, the fact that it used to, they remembered an empty courtyard that we just walked through there. I did too. So it's, um, it's a very different experience to walk through an empty courtyard versus to walk through something where there's a large central sundial sculpture that's like 15, 20 feet across and just about as tall. Uh, one of the things about your background that I think is interesting that I think the, it helps understand I think your mindset is that you have a bachelor degree in physics from Berkeley, correct? Is that right? That's correct, yes. And that's so right. I would think that when before you would conclude that reality has shifted, which is a pretty radical conclusion, that, at, with a, that as somebody with a science background, you would apply a certain amount of doubt or inquiry to that conclusion. That's true. And actually, um, sort of an interesting um, thing that you bring up here, because I believe that also the fact that I've got background and experience and education in physics helps me keep a more open mind at the same time as it also is skeptical. So you might wonder, what do I mean by that? How is it both more skeptical and more open? What I mean is because of the fact that I've become aware of things like quantum physics and a lot of the very strange kinds of phenomena that occur on the very small level of reality. I, I do have much more than just a passing amount of knowledge about some interesting phenomena that happen on the quantum scale that actually believe we are witnessing on the macroscopic scale with reality shifts. So when things appear and disappear, that's pretty much standard business as usual. For quantum particles, it's sort of blip in and out of existence. Yeah, you know the the uh, I think every show the topic of quantum physics comes up because it really is in many ways a link between science and spirituality, and in, and in many ways perhaps an unbreakable link, because as we know, quantum theory says that at the root of reality are not little ball bearings or machine parts to a mechanical physical world, but rather bundles of energy, waves of nothing, sort of things that cannot be described. And, and then when you move into the entanglement phase of quantum theory, the notion that uh, two separate things, two separate bundles of energy can communicate instantaneously, it suggests an interconnectedness uh, within the world and therefore between us and the world and so I could see that that relationship to you know between quantum theory and the reality of reality shifts and and I do think that this is why this is so interesting is because maybe 20 years ago 10 years ago the notion that the physical world changes through something happening in our consciousness would seem like some kind of hallucinatory trip or something, but but it, it it has a basis in science when you think about it. I mean, that's what's pretty cool about it. 
Absolutely. I, I'm so excited right now that we're at the dawn of what I call the quantum age, thanks to the fact that we have a working quantum computer right now in the state of California, wow. the D-Wave 2. And it's not so much about the technology, but the fact that we have a device that's using these very quantum microscopic um, types of behaviors, and it's basically working at the human scale. And so that's why people who might be following the scientific articles, like I like to do, have been very excited this last year, as I have been, to see that we're getting room temperature, um, macroscopic scale teleportation results and entanglement results, um, scientifically repeatable experiments showing that you can entangle diamonds, for example. You can mm -hmm. hold these little teeny tiny diamonds in your hand and you can shine a light on one and across the room the other diamond will respond as if it had a light show shining on it. Okay, this kind of, the reason we're doing that is so we can get quantum computers. People are not doing these things just to prove that reality shifts happen on the macroscopic scale. Yeah. But, but what excites me is um, they're pretty much doing that. Um, just the race to get these quantum computers built. Now, we've got one. I, I call it the quantum age starting this month, September 2013, because the D-Wave 2 was purchased by Google and NASA Ames Research Center. They're currently programming it and using it. And it's not the only quantum computer. There's another one that's available in the cloud that I believe a British uh, company has. It just has two qubits. The D-Wave 2 has 512 qubits. So that, that one cost, you know, millions of dollars. Yeah. But anyway, getting back on track, the, the thing that's so exciting to me is that with all the research racing forward on this huge um, rush to get quantum com computation going, which will change our world in, in terms of our mindset more than anything else. But it's going to have a huge impact on us because what's happening is the, the, the bits and bytes that are um, working in those quantum computers are actually very different than anything we're used to from classical computing. They work on a principle very similar to Schrodinger's cat, where that cat is both alive and dead at the same time. And they work with squids, superconducting quantum interference devices. So I don't mean yeah, to get well, too technical. Well, no, I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, what you're, what you're saying, I think, is that, I mean, I, I think we're moving into the, the quantum age in more ways than one in the sense that there is a technological aspect to it. As exactly. Evident, I think as that's evident. true of all of the right. great ages of humankind. Right. Right, right. As evidenced by quantum computing, but there's also a mindset part to it. And it's the and for me, yeah, right, that's the right, bigger thing for right, me. Right, right, for me too. And and I think that perhaps by having the scientists, the computer experts actually develop a computer based upon quantum theory. And it's, it, I guess, one of the notions with the quantum computers is that a, a quote-unquote particle can occupy more than, uh, more than one space at a time or one place at a time where two particles can be in the same place. So using, uh, you know, the entanglement and some of the odd features of quantum theory, essentially, to make the thing even, you know, much faster than our normal computers. It's something like that. And, and so... But, but, but that is showing that even technology is being built upon some of the odd properties of quantum theory, which is another way of saying the, the, the historically odd or the once thought to be odd properties of the very world we live in. There and, you go. Right. And you just hit the nail on the head. Brilliant, Philip, because um, that's exactly what's happening. When you look to see how are these scientists proceeding forward, what are they looking to as a model for how to build that quantum computer they're working on? They are looking to nature. They're looking at quantum biology, which didn't even used to be a science, you know, more than like 10 years ago. So we've got all of the sciences. You can pretty much put the word quantum in front of it, including astronomy. And I'll get into that later. But with quantum biology, it's phenomenal because... You can look at a plant that's photosynthesizing, for example, and that plant is doing computations at a level that none of our classical computers can match. Hmm. There's no way that we can... Um, it, and it, what, what a plant is doing is solving a rush hour traffic problem 
on how to get a photon of light from the surface of the leaf transported in the form of energy through, you know, in a way that the plant can use. So it's choosing the channel by how does it process that photon of light, how does it go through that photosynthesis reaction, which is a chemical reaction. Um, and it's basically what, what scientists now believe, and they've been tracking and timing this problem, they're figuring out these plants are using quantum computation to solve this problem. Mm. So we have plants, um, and plants aren't the only ones. You know, birds are using it for navigation. It, we humans are using it for our sense of smell. And so there's a gold rush going on right now with scientific research just in the last 12 months even on a scale that I've never seen before in my entire life. Yeah, I think, so, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think, I almost think that the, the trains left the station or the horses have left the barn, whatever the saying is, on on this whole new world view where consciousness slash spirituality is starting to take a front seat. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with S Cynthia Sue Larson, the author of the book Reality Shifts, and we're talking about how developments in quantum theory are changing not only technology, but, but changing the way we look at the world. Now, I'd like to shift to these, these really cool reality shifts and get clear about, about what they are, because isn't one of the conclusions from these reality shifts is that the world is not what we thought it to be that maybe the Hindus were right that the world is an illusion yes yeah absolutely um, and I come to that realization or conclusion a couple of different ways in the book I actually go through a couple of chapters devoted to lucid dreaming and which is which is a process wherein a dreamer recognizes within the dream that they are dreaming and to make that kind of a realization is extraordinary as an experiencer because you start getting an ability to have a dialogue with with consciousness with something with and, and it raises questions what are we conversing with what what is this dream scale you know what what is this panoply of the mind that's in, in which you can suddenly decide you're going to fly, for example. Um, and, and so from that lucid dreaming perspective, people that are lucid dreamers are the, the most likely experiencers of reality shifts, mm. which might come in the form of coincidence, synchronicity, spontaneous remission of disease. You know, these are some, some very wonderful examples of reality shifts. So it's not just things appearing and disappearing. Um, sometimes when they appear and disappear, it creates that kind of a synchronicity and a coincidence. So lucid dreaming is a huge um, tool. It, it's, a, it's a means and a way to access this world of reality shifting. So that's one tip off, like, wow, if we do this lucid dreaming exercise and suddenly we're getting a lot more reality shifts, there's something to this. It means... Um, for me, what it means is that you can look at the entire life experience as being very much like a dream. In other words, rather than identifying overly much with a physical self, to identify more closely with oneself as being consciousness. So being that dreamer and recognizing that when reality shifts, you might be settling into a whole different reality entirely. might not even be the same you that it was before. Just like in a dream, you can keep waking up and waking up in layer after layer of the dream. Well, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about about the dream nature of the world since I wrote a book on the very topic, The Heaven at the End of Science. That's what, what my own book is about. And it's also, even though it's a radical concept to the modern materialistic mind, where we still treat the body like a machine, in the universe like a stage setting it's not a radical thought to eastern philosophy or eastern religion now they don't i think they take a, a little different tact but 
I think we need to remember that in Hinduism, as I mentioned earlier, the physical world is Maya, which is an illusion, and, and the, which means illusion. The, the, and the true reality in Hinduism is the self, is the inner sanctity that they call Brahman. And so the, this notion that we are in a dreamlike reality, even though it is, a, and I, I think it is radical, although it's not as radical as it used to be, it's, it's something that it happens to explain a lot, including quantum theory and include, yes. including synchronistical events. And I, I think that it's something that we, we sort of are slowly getting comfortable with. And I, I like the fact what you did in your book is that you don't shy away from the conclusions because, you know, I think we've all had these reality shifts. And many of us growing up probably uh, thought it was God or it was a miracle or an angel brought something or it was luck. But it's not so unusual to think that that if the world physical world really is a fluid reality as opposed to a mechanical contraption that once in a while things are gonna are going to fall out of the ordinary right things are going to as you say shift and I think that's what's that's what's interesting because you think about it Cynthia you really don't need a reality shift to prove the world is a dream it, yeah, you don't, you, I don't, you don't think you do either. You don't it's, really need it, but it sh it does really s strongly suggest that it is if you've if you've experienced this. Because how how is that sundial going to appear there one day and not there the other day? Right, right, exactly. Right? I mean, that's that's too much. Right. That's too and much. Then, and and this um, another example of a reality shift is one that I mentioned in the book, uh, which I think people might be able to relate to. Um, because it's just it starts out so such a normal experience, and it's one that we talked about um, earlier. I don't know if it was recorded or not, but we mentioned this restaurant with pig artwork. You know, yes. artwork involving pigs, the little animals with hooves. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I was um, it was kind of strange because I'd I'd eaten dinner at a restaurant in this um, town in Yountville, and I was really surprised to notice that, um, it, well, the restaurant's name is Bistro Janti, and they have a wonderful tomato soup there that comes in a, like, a covered pastry that you might have enjoyed there yourself. <laughs> no, yes. <laughs> yeah, I have been there, as I mentioned to you, but go ahead. Yeah, okay. it's a good restaurant. Yeah, so um, the strange thing is, I'd been to um, this same restaurant a couple of months earlier with my sister, and there had been very prominently placed pig artwork, but this time, on this particular occasion, I was at the restaurant with a friend who's actually allergic to pork. And so if he sees pictures of pigs, it's not his favorite thing. Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't want pig to be served on the menu. Right, you know, right. It's, right. It's not, I not a see, good thing. I can see that. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm looking around and I'm wondering what happened to all the pig artwork. So I um, made some inquiries with the waitress. And then I was asking the busboy. I was just asking anybody that works there, like, What's happened with all the artwork that, you know, does anyone remember these pigs? And it's kind of, um, what's really interesting is they assured me that it's always been the way it is right now. <laughs> and that they both worked there for a lot more than two months and nothing had changed. <laughs> and this is pretty classic. Yeah. I'm just describing this because if anybody out there is listening and they're thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I have had some reality shifts. It's just yeah. that. Nobody agreed that that had happened. Yeah. Well, this is what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember one. I think, I mean, you could have a really, and you probably have had conversations like this with your friends, but I remember one very strange event where I was traveling, and we had these two dogs at the time, and I left, and I had let them outside. I think they were outside in their little dog houses, and I was running late, like, the plane was late. I, I was really concerned. I think it was storming, so I was concerned about the dogs. And I get home, and the dogs were inside. <laughs> and, exactly. and I don't know how. And it, what was so weird is that the door was a little open, and that and the door had been locked. So somehow they appeared inside. Now, I think the other side of this is that if you're a skeptic, you could probably find uh, problems with every one of these stories. 
I mean, there you could. I'm not so sure. And Cynthia, I'd like to have your opinion on this, but I'm not so sure any of these withstand scientific scrutiny. Right. I mean, it's a lot like spontaneous your, remission of right, disease when right. you hear these stories about people that have cancer and suddenly it it is gone. Yeah. You know that happens. Um, I've personally witnessed people who had broken bones that are suddenly healed. So. You know, but you're right, and I, I think you raise a really good point, and there's even a reason in science that it should be that way. It absolutely has to be that way. It has to be the case that we have that element of doubt, because that's the way, once again, this quantum behavior occurs. So, for example, the scientists that are currently doing research to see what kind of retrocausal reality shifts they can observe, in other words, can you change the past from the future. They have to sneak up on this phenomenon and they have to do their measurements in in a way so that any of the data points, even if you pull them out and study them closely and say, aha, here it happened. We affected the present from the future or the past, whatever. You right, know. So right. they've, they've actually succeeded. But there's enough, there has to be enough doubt, enough of an uncertainty factor there. That's just the way quantum phenomena works. That's the way you program a quantum computer. This is going to change the way we think about everything. And so what I'm saying is, yeah, of course there's always that room for doubt. There has to be. Right. What, what's, what I love is that more and more people are going to be coming around to realizing, oh my gosh, this stuff happens all the time. It's not just happening in quantum computers. It's happening in my life with my dogs. It just happened, you know? Yes. <laughs> and yes. I can't be exactly sure. Like, I think I had the dogs outside. I always do. And, but this is kind of weird, you know? Yeah, well, it helps, it helps explain these events and bring them into our world without thinking that we're going crazy. I mean, that's, that's, that's one way to look at it. And I think your, your uh, bringing up the quantum computing is really a fascinating um, look at this because I, I, had an, I had not realized the connection and and perhaps now and again why don't you describe what you see as the connection with the quantum computing i know you said it again but i think it's a very important point to emphasize right well here um i'll present it from a slightly different fresh angle um so these quantum computers that i'm talking about including the big famous d-wave 2 the 17 million dollar computer in california was purchased um recently fired up this month, September 2013. Big, huge event that this is happening. That computer operates on a principle that includes something called superposition of states. And I mentioned earlier this um, Schrodinger's cat, which some people may have heard, but they don't know what it means. And this is just a thought experiment that Erwin Schrodinger presented to explain some of this, one of the strange behaviors of quantum phenomena. And in the experiment, there's a radioactive isotope um, which decays at some random rate. So it may or may not decay in such a way to trigger a triggering mechanism that breaks a glass vial of poison in a sealed compartment that a cat, a regular feline cat, is placed in. And so what this means is, from the quantum point of view, here's what Erwin Schrodinger was trying to point out. He said, quantum, the quantum world is so strange that we know that the cat would both be alive and dead at the same time yeah. because we know that that quantum particle has both decayed and not decayed at the same time. Yeah. So now we've got quantum computers running on that principle right now. They, were, they depend on that. That's the reason that they can do what they do. They can solve the tra traveling salesman program, programming problem faster than any computer. They, they can solve the hard problems that classical computers can't do, like photosynthesis in a plant or solving rush hour traffic through Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want, I want to emphasize something else here that I think all points in the same direction, which being that consciousness is at the root of reality. I mean, you, you mentioned this point about uh, plants and photosynthesis and how plants have to undergo a quantum-like uh, exchange of energy or, conver or conversion of information in order to actually... Um, perform photosynthesis but I think that what it also shows is that is how intelligent uh, nature is 
and, oh, yes. and and how there has to be a mind behind the scenes because and I think this is happening right now frankly in biology and less so in physics it's happening but I don't think that the scientists have fully uh, recognize it and that is is that the more they look into living things for example the more complicated it is and the more complicated it is the less likely it came from a random explosion of nothingness and and this is really what Michael Behe is about the author of Darwin's Black Box who we had on the show a couple months ago uh, he, his concept of irreducible complexity and of course the modern materialists uh, sort of reject that line of thinking as being intelligent design or creationism or something, which is sort of placing a label on a very compelling theory and trying to get rid of it that way. But in any event, my point is is that we have multiple lines of convergence showing, I think, that at the root of reality is really consciousness. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Cynthia Sue Larson, the author of the book Reality Shifts, When Consciousness Changes the Physical World. And I'd like to move to what could somebody do to experience more reality shifts? There's something practical, some practical tips that you would suggest to somebody yes well one of the best things is just being aware that it's even possible that these things could be happening yeah. so I recommend reading stories about reality shifts and I share on my website realityshifters.com each month I publish a newsletter and there are just hundreds of stories there that people can browse through these are first person first-hand accounts of things appearing, disappearing, transforming, and transporting. It could be as simple as putting your keys down and when you're ready to leave the house and then not being able to find them and then there they are, right where you looked the first time. Yes. But they weren't there before. Yes. <laughs> so it's, I think something happens and the light bulb goes off when you hear, read these stories. It's, it's a simple activity. You're just browsing through and looking at, keeping an open mind while you do it. Like, well, maybe this is happening. Just the fact that you're reading about it and the fact that you're opening your mind to it means you're much more likely to experience reality shifts. And it's sort of like taking advantage of, of the real world, of, of what reality really is about. And I, and I think what I would emphasize that you just said is, is opening your mind to this possibility because so many folks that were so conditioned by the modern materialistic mindset to just reject out of hand this stuff and and oh the you know physical reality can't possibly shift you know the world unfolds like a movie or like a mechanical uh, contraption event follows events in a regular sequence we're, we're so conditioned to think like that, that that we sort of talk ourselves out of the possibility before we even experience it. Right. That's, that's been true in this information age. And part of the reason I'm so thrilled that I know for sure we're entering this quantum age is that mindset, that tendency that we have is about to change. You know, with every child being born right now, when they go to school, they're going to be hearing about quantum computers. And for them, it won't be some weird thing of superposition of states, spooky action at a distance, yes. entanglements. All these things will be very much part of the way they view the world. So naturally, they'll look around and expect to see, well, wouldn't we expect to see, you know, superposition right. of states? In other words, sometimes you look at the door to your house and it's locked and the dogs are outside. And other times you look at it, it's slightly ajar and the dogs are inside. So the children born right now will be very comfortable with that observation. To them, it'll be just like, of course, that our computers run on that. Of course, we'd expect to see it, too, because that computer sitting on my desktop is doing that, working with that. Yeah, so yeah. It's, I think what's amazing is that people from our generation are not yet 
even prepared for the mindset change that's about to happen. Well, like your present company excluded, <laughs> of course. Well, I <laughs> and the wonderful guests you've had on your show. Well, I, I'm very happy. I'm very happy to say that that more and more people uh, are opening themselves up to this, and it's sort of I really view it. I mean, there's an introduction to this show. Uh, it talks about that. Uh, that one of the purposes is to explore the rise in consciousness, the new rise in consciousness. And I really think that that's what it is. We're rising to a higher level of consciousness, uh, realizing who we really are and our capabilities. And I think that, uh, in our, you know, the ace up the sleeve is, is quantum theory. I, but I also think that it's these personal experiences that are sort of the the final nail in the coffin because as you increase having these experiences or and, and frankly I think all you need is one indisputable experience and it's and it's all over I mean I, I, I I've had a couple of them and once you have one it's like well you know that's that's the way it is and you accept it and you try to benefit from it and and I I think that uh, the other thing that you do that I want to talk about here is you talk about how how promising and how beneficial to to our our lives having this open mindset this this reality shifting mindset is to an individual so why don't why don't you talk a little bit about what it means for the person for the individual to be more open to these kinds of events? Yeah, for me it's a it's a huge leap forward on that path and that journey you're describing of raising consciousness because there's something that I feel is just fundamental to the process of once you've started seeing these experiences, and I agree with you, once you've had one or two completely unshakable experiences where there's no possible other explanation, all you can say is, wow, something happened. I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's an amazing thing happens, which I've, I believe is just part of the the journey and part of the process, and that is recognizing that one is very much part of the oneness, part of the um, interconnectedness of all that is and there's a recognition that occurs there which I find personally very spiritual but I I don't feel that it's um, I'm not a proselytizing type of person so it's not so much pushing anyone in any particular spiritual tradition or path but I believe it's it's just about impossible not to be um, just in a state of reverence and rapture and just just to be amazed and completely in awe of what an amazing universe, multiverse, that we exist within. So that's, it's an awakening that happens, in other words, yeah, and yeah. nothing I, short of it. Yeah, I think the world, I think the way I put it in my book, uh, I think I put it in this book, or it could have been in an article, is that the world moves closer to us. Because if you accept the Big Bang Theory, and, and you said you want to talk about astronomy, but and maybe... Maybe that meant the Big Bang, or maybe it meant something else. But, but when we're taught that that creation came from a Big Bang, and that we are the outcome of a random sequence of physical events, that we had no control over it, I, I think that there tends to be less of a connection to nature and the world. And I, I think that there is a lack of of responsibility associated with that if you start accepting as true things like reality shifts in the quote-unquote dreamlike nature of the world then all of a sudden you're realizing that the world that is in front of you is the world in fact that you are creating now and so I I think that there is a I think this is to me that's the big one is is the more you realize that we are responsible for the world from the bottom up, from the molecules to the tips of the tallest trees. I think that that's when uh, we start taking greater responsibility and start treating our creation a little more kindly. Now, the a big question here that I know 
most people would have, and I think is the, the tough one, is that if we create our own reality, then isn't there going to be a conflict between people in, who are each trying to create their own reality? I mean, how, how, do you, how do you synthesize, coordinate all these people that are out there trying to create their own realities? Yeah, that comes down to this awakening and the, the journey itself. So, for me, this I've heard it said that the Tibetan masters in Buddhism would often describe many of the types of reality shifts that uh, people on my website and my book describe, such as walking through walls and you know strange things that sound impossible yet people have experienced. And what the Tibetans would say is, don't fixate on that. You know, don't let yourself get distracted by that, because. That is just Maya, that's illusion. And what's really happening is much deeper. And so for people experiencing these reality shifts, the real journey happens, I believe, when we do recognize that we are part of being one with everything. In other words, we are consciousness, and that consciousness exists in the animals, the plants, it exists everywhere. We are part of that oneness. And so it's very much... Um, it's part of this, what I, I believe it's just part of the lucid realization that you're living in a waking dream. That it's just like waking up in real life, like waking up in a dream and saying, wow, I've been dreaming. When you, when you say that in your real life, like, wow, I've been dreaming, you know, I just thought that I was so separate from everything. I thought that I was just my physical body. Right. You know, all these different things um, start becoming rather startling and, and so a person can come to a sudden realization um, that they are one with their dogs that they are one with the trees and with the stars and with the birth of this entire universe that in fact we had something to do with that which I believe actually is most likely true and that's based on things happening with the Higgs boson and this quantum astronomy I referred to earlier so what what is the quantum astronomy? Okay, that's yeah. This is I just love 2013. <laughs> I think we're in the coolest time <laughs> Good. ever. Okay, Good. I, I like <laughs> 20, if you like it, I like it. I'm happy. I, I I always like when people say we're in a special year because last year, you know, we had to go through the main calendar thing, and yeah. and so we're past that now. We have to, you know you know we've survived. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm happy to hear that we have that we're in a good year here. So Cynthia, go ahead. Tell us about okay. quantum astronomy. Okay. So quantum astronomy is um, I'm just going to use an example of what it is. It's looking at the quantum effects on the astronomical cosmic scale. So some of the physicists that have been suspecting and hypothesizing for a number of years now that we might be able to tell for sure if we exist in a multiverse of many parallel universes one way they expected to be able to tell that would be looking at background cosmic radiation around the time of the Big Bang. Recently some of the scientists have determined looking at you know sort of a photograph, a baby picture of our universe at the time of the Big Bang instead of seeing just a completely um, robotic, machine-like, as you might say, mechanical burst of the Big Bang, they saw something completely different, something shocking. What they saw looked like a gravity imprint from the outside of this universe, um, a gravitational effect of something else, I guess you could say other parallel universes that are already out there when our universe had its Big Bang. So instead of a completely even distribution of that Big Bang, you see just weird, wild warpings. It's, it's kind of like if you're looking at a heat image and you can sort of see where the other hot bodies might be, kind of like nighttime um, vision goggles that military operatives might use. So it's kind of like a heat imprint. It, it looks kind of like color. Right. You can see like, whoa, that is wild. So this is just one interpretation of what that means, but it's not the only one. The Higgs boson um, discovery recently is another indication that we're most likely living in a holographic multiverse, which is a theory proposed by Raphael Busso at UC Berkeley. 
So I, I know that's a lot of technical information, no. but some well, people out there might really be interested and want to track it down and look into it. Yeah, well, yeah, the Higgs boson is something that takes a whole show to talk about. And we did have John Gunyan on the show about a year ago, uh, who was a professor at, I think, at USC, who was part of the team, part of the thousands of physicists who believe they found the Higgs boson. Now, I personally think that that um, the Higgs boson isn't is is not what it appears to be. That it really is um, um, sort of an overplayed discovery. Uh, and and by the way, for those who don't know what it is, it really is this this particle that is supposed to supply mass to all the other particles. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Cynthia Sue Larson, the author of the book Reality Shifts, When Consciousness Changes the Physical World. And Cynthia, I'd like to talk about another topic that some folks may be thinking about, and that is where, if anywhere, does God fit into your vision of reality shifts? You mean me personally? Well, or? well, it's not. I'm not really asking you, but but is there is there a place for God in this world that that you believe uh, is being revealed through the phenomena of reality shifts? Well, to me, it's something that if people have faith in God, then they'll find God there. If they don't, then they won't. And so, hmm. I know that sounds like an elusive answer. Yes. <laughs> personally, I believe in God. Right. But I was raised by a father who was an atheist and a mother who's an agnostic. So, and then they proceeded to take me on travels of the world to sacred sites everywhere. <laughs> and I was energy sensitive, so I'm basically getting well. My, that's interesting. Now, why would they, why did they do that? I mean, because because of the his, historical purposes, or I mean, yeah, because they wanted to see things before they changed, and oh, they wanted to. Um, I think also just to help me and my sister experience the world on a level that no books could ever possibly convey. Yes. Because there's something that happens when you're in a place and you feel the energy of it. And boy, I'm very sensitive to energy, so I could really feel it. Whether I'm in a, um, a Sikh temple or, you know, which I didn't really go too far into one, but just the, you know, the opening area of it or near a mosque, not inside one, but and then all the Shinto shrines and Buddhist temples and all of the Catholic and Christian, you know, various um, temples and shrines and so forth. Right. It's, it's just amazing. So um, I, I guess what I'm, I'm not trying to be cagey by saying that there's no way that, you know, for sure you'll, you'll you can see proof of God. I, I just feel that God is very much like these quantum phenomena like there's, I don't think we're ever going to get absolute proof that God exists, just like we would never see absolute proof that a reality shift exists hmm. or that a quantum outlying event has occurred. It, it's, um, by definition, it's um, too elusive. Well, I, uh, I don't know. I, I just think that it's, I, I, would follow, I would follow Hinduism here and say that Brahman is God. And the and the united self or or the united consciousness is God, but that that's just my that's just my interpretation of it. And frankly, it doesn't really matter that much what you call it, because exactly. because exactly. right because it's the feelings, it's the reaction, it's the responsibility that follows. I mean, you could pray to God, but be a terrorist. As we yeah, know. that word responsibility really hits the nail on the head for me because it's it's that responsibility to feeling what it is to be oneness and something happens when I'm in that state of consciousness that I genuinely wish the best for all concerned that I'm it's not just words that I say but it's a path that I must live and it, it changes who I am yes. and it's an energy and a consciousness that I prefer to have running my life and one that I begin choosing on a regular basis so it's a spiritual path for me very much yes yes so that's well that's good and I think that that is 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 extremely important the connection between this reality shift viewpoint or this dreamlike vision of the world and 
really a higher, a heightened degree of responsibility for the world we live in. Now, I know that you've also sort of have used this view of things, the reality shifting theme, in, in healing. And I think it also, we don't have that much time here, but I think it's helpful, it would be helpful to the listener for you to talk about what this viewpoint means for healing and for health and for maybe extending our lifespans a little bit. I mean, I know you have, you, that yes. you've done healing. So oh, what, yes, is, yes. what is the connection here? Okay, the connection, I touch on this on the book as well, and it's, um, it's a huge topic, but just to cover it briefly, I think most people could relate to what it is to care deeply for another person and to see them injured um, is not something we'd want them to suffer through. So one example of healing that I think everyone can relate to is, is a time that I saw my younger daughter um, at a playground. She'd gotten a blood blister on her finger, on her hand, and she was crying because it was very painful and it looked terrible. And so I just took my hands um, and wrapped, just covered her tiny hand with my bigger hands and just felt all of my love and imagined in my mind's eye that she was completely healthy and whole, knowing full well that sometimes when I do this for myself or you know, um, other things, that they are transformed by it. That when I take my hands away, that whatever it was that was broken or hurt is now fine. It, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen quite a lot. So I did this for her and took my hands away, and she saw for herself the blood blister was gone. Yeah. And so she was asking, like, wow, did, did your mom do this for you? <laughs> and I said, no. I think, I think my mom put mercurochrome on. I was yeah. trying to explain that to her. Yeah. A whole different thing. <laughs> yeah. There was other methods, and there still are other methods. So, so, yeah. that was, so, so that was your, what are your first forays into, into the effects of reality shifting and healing? Well, I've had several. Okay. In the book, Reality Shifts, I describe uh, my best friend from high school. Her brother was in a coma, and I was, I, I was surprised to learn that I could not only tune in and get real-time, um, very strong pictures and imagery and turned out to be accurate um, a description of what was going on for him, uh, as well as send healing energy to him. Boy, that was an eye-opener. Yeah. So... Uh, the world is much more interconnected, and our thoughts and feelings have a much deeper effect on everything and everyone around us than yeah. most of us realize. Yeah, that's that's what Larry Dossi talked about a lot last week. You know, he he wrote, he's written a couple books on the power of prayer, not uh, to affect other people, and that's one of the underlying um, proofs or underlying pieces of evidence that he uh, presents to support the notion of the one mind and again this all fits together because if the world is not a machine if it really is a fluid reality dreamlike or really a dream then that would apply to our bodies as well and therefore Absolutely. and therefore we should be able to shift our body now our bodies and again this may seem like a strange thought except go read the new testament for example, and there's and if you believe in the miracles or the healing of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, yeah, I actually do. Now, now you have a basis to 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 support the fact that that it really happened and that there is. Yeah, I, a I basis. take it literally. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I I do too. I mean, it's sort of like I mean, I always think you have two two choices. Anyone has two choices when they confront something like this, and by and that I and and I mean things like healing, the paranormal, reality shifts, and that is you could either believe them or reject them. There, there really isn't, I mean, you either have to, have to think that there's room in our world for these things or you simply close your mind and ignore it. And it, it's got to be one or the other. And I think what's really powerful here, Cynthia, is that most people are going to are I think are open to this because most people believe in a miracle or miracles of one kind or another and and all all we're doing here and I think all you're doing is giving a what I'm going to call a scientific basis for it 
Exactly. Yes, you know? that's true. That's, and that's, also experience, backing it with a number of fun and lively and entertaining experiences right. that, that help people further experience it on their own in a good way without being afraid of it or um, traumatized by like that, that fear that maybe there's too much responsibility or something could go terribly wrong. You know, I, I like to present it in a way that people can feel safe uh, exploring this field. Yeah, so, so in terms of what the takeaway the listener should have from your book and from this show, what, what, what's the most important thing that you think somebody who is new to listening to this um, should, should know about? Well, it's just the idea that something extraordinary is actually happening. And the more closely you look for it and look at it, the more amazing it gets. So it's just it's just a waking up kind of a message. Time yeah. to wake up. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's sort of it's sort of like from from the foundation of our beings, you know, the the deeper you have that openness, the better the chance is gonna work. I mean, the older you get, we know that we start getting filled with all these negative talks. You call it, I think, negative self-talk in your book. Right, right. And, but you, and can, we, you can actually deal with it just like um, viruses and invaders in the body. It can create antibodies to resist those thought forms, which I also describe in the book. And, and, what, and what is an example of that? Well, you um, if you hear, for example, negative self-talk like, like, oh, I never do anything right. You know, people often internalize these things, and right. I don't know where they get it from. Maybe parents or caregivers or TV, who knows. But if you catch something like that running around in your mind, that's not you thinking that, and you don't need to have that thought running roughshod over your life like that. So you can create an antibody. You can just flip that little statement around, and just take the exact opposite of it. So take it from I never do anything right to everything I do is in perfect harmony with the grand design of this universe. You know, some, or it could be something simpler. Uh, but that's e just as equally likely to be true. And in, in fact, I believe that probably is exactly true. Right. Um, but, you know, if you're just having that affirmation enables you to start pulling yourself out of a hole that you might not have known you were in. And most people are inadvertently digging themselves into ditches just by these strange runaway thought forms, just um, you know, with this negative self-talk going on. Yeah, that is so. That's such an important. That's such an important thought. And again, a couple of weeks ago, we had someone, uh, Michelson Williams, who talked about positive brainwashing. It's all the same thing. It's so much easier to give those positive affirmations and you have a lot of good ones at the end of your book so those who are are um, searching for affirmations it's another reason to get Cynthia's book reality shifts because she's got a lot of good ones in there but it really is taking control of your own mind <laughs> right it's not exactly. let not letting other people dictate what you're supposed to be thinking I, mean, I always say okay well you could be you could think negatively but make sh but don't do it because someone else is putting that thought in your head and then you and then you come to the conclusion it's sort of like why what value is there in thinking negatively it, it does absolutely no good because it's like anything else if you start doubting yourself you will never succeed you'll never succeed Cynthia uh, it's it's been a fast but fascinating conversation and I think in closing why don't you tell folks just a little bit more how to get a hold of you and learn more about uh, what you're doing. Yes, well, if people are interested in any of this and want to learn more, the best place to go is my website, which is www.realityshifters.com. And there you can subscribe to my newsletter, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, and also see the books and CDs that I've got for sale. And once again, I'd like to emphasize that this is really, in my opinion, exciting stuff because we're starting to open our minds to the possibility, to the real possibility, that we are living in a dream-like reality where we have more control over our lives and the world than we ever thought we did. 
and I think we're starting this voyage uh, as as boosted by quantum theory to understanding how we could make our lives happier and perhaps even our world a better place. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you, Cynthia. It's been a lot of fun, and we'll see you all next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 